the roughest story in the Bible that you may never have even heard before is actually a Christmas story. Welcome back to the show. My name is Cody. This is part two of our Christmas episodes, Advent celebration, talking about typology and how the entire Bible points to Christmas. Uh, To sum up basically what I talked about in the last episode, if you want to listen to it, uh, it is about how all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And the New Testament is the consequence of Jesus being born. So the whole Bible kind of centers, the, the climax of the story is the Christmas story. That is why we must celebrate Christmas. Christmas is not a time for penitence, but it is a time for celebration. It's not a time where we should eat less, but we should eat more. We should not be more frugal, but we should be more generous because we are celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the greatest event that has ever happened on earth, the uh, birth of God made flesh and dwelt among us to save us from our sins. Amazing. Beautiful. Merry Christmas. So in this episode, I want to focus in on one story in particular in the book of Judges. It's actually the last story in the book of Judges. And um, I remember when I first read this story, you know, many years ago, or I heard about the story or something, I was just like, what? That's weird. Why is that in there? (laughs) But actually, it's one of the, the most interesting and beautiful stories, I think, in the Bible, just because it's so weird. Like, I like it because it's, it's uh, unusual. It, It is weird. And it's weird that it points to Christmas. But this is the kind of context that Christmas is in. It's rough because Christmas is in the context of a rough world. Christmas happened in the midst of uh, the firstborn sons of Israel being killed because the evil King Herod wanted to cut off the line of the Messiah. Christmas is in the context of the Roman Empire occupying Israel uh, and, you know, ruling over them and God's people uh, looking for their Messiah. This comes after many years of silence from God's prophets. And then all of a sudden, this beautiful event happens in the middle of a time when people least expect it. Christmas is in the context of a dark, dirty stable. And inside the stable is a feeding trough for animals where Jesus was laid right after he was born. A dirty, gross place that nobody would ever want to spend the night. Unsanitary, unclean. But Jesus, the bread of life, is offered to us in a manger, this dirty, dark place. And he is the thing that gives us life but also makes the world clean. And Jesus, the bread of life, is good enough, if he is good enough to be born in a manger surrounded by dirty animals, then he is good enough to be offered to us. So let's get into this story. The last story in the book of Judges is about a Levite and his concubine. So the story, the the characters aren't even named. The Levite doesn't have a name. The concubine doesn't have a name. Uh, But they are, he has a concubine. And the concubine plays the whore and flees to her father's house in Bethlehem. Now, as soon as we hear Bethlehem, our ears should perk up. Oh, Bethlehem, what does this have to do with 
where else that we've heard Bethlehem? Now, not everything in the Bible that, uh, you know, that happens in the same place or not every pattern exactly fits that we may see in the Bible, but using typology, which is something that I talked about in the last episode, we, our ears at the very least should perk up and we should look for some kind of connection when we are reading in the Bible and we see something happening in the same place as some other place, or when we see some kind of pattern being uh, taking place that we have also seen somewhere else, because it probably means something. It's probably a type or one of them might be some kind of fulfillment of the other, or one might be pointing toward the other, or they both might be pointing towards some greater thing. So the Levite, who is of the, you know, the Levites or the, the priests in Judah. And the Levite's concubine plays the whore. She flees to her father's house in Bethlehem and she stays there for four months. And we're not told this, but it can be assumed, I think, that she got pregnant. And pregnancy typically shows 12 to 16 weeks. I looked it up and that's what it said. Uh, and so maybe she started showing. She realized she was pregnant. She ran away to her father's house, stayed there for four months, maybe had a baby. And then her her husband travels to Bethlehem to her father's house and asks for her back. And he's received joyfully. They're so happy to see him, which is also very weird because it's like you ran away from him, but now you're glad that he's here and you're not ashamed anymore. Perhaps she wasn't ashamed anymore because she had this baby and things were back to normal and she could go on being his concubine. So one connection here that maybe you already see is that a woman, she flees to Bethlehem with a child who is not her, her husband, you know, husband or whatever, whatever the Levite was to her. Uh, she is fleeing in shame to Bethlehem. And this is kind of an inverse of what happened with Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph were not in shame, but in pride traveling to Bethlehem because Mary was pregnant with the Messiah and both her and Joseph were told this. But she was pregnant with a child that was not her husband's, just like the, the, uh, the Levite's concubine. So that's an interesting connection. But the connections deepen. So they, they travel back and they're going back towards the Levites' home and they stay the night in a place called Gibeah. And Gibeah, we should also think, where else have we heard Gibeah? Well, Gibeah is the birthplace of King Saul, who is the first king of, of uh, God's people, who we learn more about in uh, right after Judges is Ruth and then 1 Samuel. So like immediately after Judges, we start getting into the 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 kingdom being established. Interesting. So they travel to Gibeah and they stay the night there. And they stay with a host and uh, it turns out that some Benjamites uh, from the tribe of Benjamin, they live in Gibeah and they're really rough guys. They're not good people at all. <laughs> Straight out of the story of Sodom, uh, the Levite and the concubine are staying the night and the men, the Benjamites 
come to the house and they say, whoa, there's a priest. We haven't had sex with one of those in a while. And so they demand that the Levite be brought out so that they can rape him. And the host, you know, like good hosts do, says, no, you can't do that. Here are my daughters instead. And so they insist that they want to rape the the, uh, <laughs> the Levite. And so the Levite, as, uh, you know, as kind of a really bad guy himself, he pushes out his concubine instead and says, have her instead. And so the concubine, she is raped to death. Uh, she is her in the morning. Uh, her hand is on the threshold. She's not responsive to the Levite. He throws her on a donkey and she doesn't make it. Uh, they're, they're traveling back to his home. And he, because she doesn't make it, he evidently is furious about this. And so he takes a knife and he cuts her body into pieces. This is usually the, the part of the story that we remember. If you've heard this before, what a guy cuts a woman into pieces and what in the world? A pretty rough story. So he cuts this woman into pieces and he sends the pieces to all of the tribes of Judah. And it is to show them the depravity of the people of Benjamin in Gibeah. And so this makes Judah furious and they start a war with Benjamin and through this war, many tens of thousands of people, men, women, and children, are killed. And then right after this, uh, we have Ruth. And then right after that, we have 1 Samuel, where we talk about the establishment of the kingdom. And so the people of Israel, they want a king. But Samuel tells them, you really don't want a king because God is your king. And God says that I will allow them for a king if they really want him to. I'm going to give them what they're asking for. And so having a king was not a good thing, but through this, greater things can come. And so God turns this bad thing into something good anyway. And so what happens is Samuel anoints Saul. And very likely during this time, this war between Judah and the Benjamites because of this event that happened in Gibeah is very fresh on everybody's minds. And this king happens to be appointed from Gibeah. So that should make us think, whoa, okay, so he's a bad guy. This this antithesis is playing itself out. You know, sons of God, sons of the devil, Saul, he's probably going to be a bad guy because he's from Gibeah. And it turns out that he is. He's a very bad guy. Saul does some good, thing, good things. He's not all bad, but he uh, ends up being an unfaithful king. His anointing is taken away by God and another king is appointed instead. Who's the other king? It's David. And where is David from? Bethlehem. He is the son of Jesse who lives in Bethlehem. And so here's what happens. It's really interesting. Uh, Samuel seeks a new king because God tells him to go to Bethlehem and go see Jesse. And so Samuel goes to Jesse and asks Jesse to pull out all of his sons. And Jesse has uh, seven sons aside from David. And Jesse shows Samuel all of his sons except for David. So there seems very early on in the story to be some kind of shame with David going on. Uh, Jesse doesn't like David, it seems. We learn later that three of Jesse's sons are actually in the military. And so it probably took some effort to get them out to come 
be shown to Samuel. And so Samuel sees all the sons and God says, none of these are the anointed one. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse says, well, yeah, there's David, but he's a shepherd. He's, he's busy with all those sheep. <laughs> even, you know, even when at least three of his sons are in the military and it probably took some effort. And so David eventually comes out and he turns out to be the one that is anointed the king. Because God tells Samuel, don't look at the appearance because all the other sons, they were, you know, they were in the military. They were military guys. They were big dudes. Um, but when we see David, he's the youngest. He is small, but he's very good looking. The Bible says that David's very good looking multiple times. And, you know, like apart from his brothers, something about him, he doesn't look like his brothers. We also hear from the Psalms, David says, I am an alien among my brothers. He says, in sin, I was conceived. And so we might start asking ourselves the question, is David a real son of Jesse? Because Jesse, you know, brings him out last. He, when, he doesn't consider David when Samuel asks to bring out all your sons. And even David isn't liked among his brothers. Now, this might make us think of um, Joseph, where Joseph was the uh, all of his brothers hated Joseph, but this isn't a parallel to Joseph here because Joseph's father loved Joseph the most. And so something different is happening here. But if you did draw that connection, then you're smart and that's a good thing. But I don't think it applies here because everybody seems to not like David. <laughs> but we also know that David is, uh, he's very good looking, like I said, but he's also a very good musician. He's known all across the land as a musician. Uh, people from very far away are like, have you heard of David? You know, he's he's good at playing whatever instruments he plays. Uh, so David's very skillful. He's very good looking. And his whole family seems to hate him. Kind of weird. Uh, later, when the when the people are in in war with the Philistines and when the David and Goliath fight is about to happen, David comes down to, to where the, the army is lined up and his brother who's in the military sees him and he seems to be ashamed of him. He's like, what are you doing here? You know, right off the bat. And, uh, that, that seems as a reader kind of shocking. Like, why does he hate his brother so much? That's weird. This feud, you know, through, um, the, the feud that we were just talking about in Judges between between uh, Judah and Benjamin is played out again through Saul and David. Saul, who's from Gibeah, and David, who is from Bethlehem. Now, eventually, uh, Saul is not the king anymore, and David becomes the king. And David is very special because not only does David get the kingdom, but he also gets the messianic line. God tells him that he, from him the Messiah will be born, the Messiah that they are looking towards, which points to Christmas. Through you know, This is a part of the Christmas story. But again, how does this tie into Judges? I'm getting to it. Uh, so David gets the kingdom and the messianic line. Even when David commits atrocious sin, uh, God lets him know, like, you can't build the temple your son will do that, but you do get to keep the messianic line. It's that important that this comes through David. So here's the theory. Here's the interesting theory. Are you ready for it? The question, based on how David's family treats him, 
And because David says in the Psalms things like, in sin I was conceived, I'm an alien among my brothers. Uh, The question is, is David really a legitimate son of Jesse? The theory is, and, you know, we're not told this directly, so it's just a theory, but it is a very interesting theory that I think makes sense of this, and uh, it's very fascinating to think about. David may have been the son of the Levite's concubine who fled to Bethlehem to her father's house, who may have been Jesse. She had this son, and her father, who was Jesse, took care of the son as an adoptive father. So he was the father of David as because he was the grandfather of David. And so that would make sense that David was the youngest. And it also gives us a, a beautiful parallel because if this is how David was actually born, then through David, who was the son of a woman who bore a child who was not of her husband's, through him was born the Messiah. Also, through a woman who is bearing a child who is not the child of her husband's, but the child of God's. Kind of an inverse. Mary's situation was godly and beautiful, and and uh, you know her her child was given to given to her by God. And in David's case, in sin, he was conceived. Interesting. So through David, regardless of if that connection exists or not, we see this antithesis between Gibeah, between these these people of the devil. Uh, if you read that passage in Judges about the Gibeon Gibeonites, it says. Uh, in the ESV version, it says that they're worthless fellows. In the King James version, it says that they are sons of Belial or sons of Satan. And so we should also think, whoa, the son of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. You know, the the sons of God and sons of Satan fighting throughout all of scripture. Here's another example of that. Who wins the kingdom? We have the sons of Satan through Saul, and then we have the sons of God through David. David comes in and he you know Saul he's big and tough and he's from the you know from the line of Benjamin and they're tough guys but David he's potentially a an illegitimate son of a concubine and he's the youngest and his family hates him and he grows up to be the greatest king that that God's people has ever had and through him the Messiah is born then we also think of all of the other um people who've done bad things or in bad situations that uh, God has used to bring about the Messiah, like, you know, this war between Judah and Gibeah or, uh, you know, Rahab, the prostitute through, through Rahab, Jesus was born. Rahab is in the line of Jesus. Very interesting to think about. So this is one of my favorite Christmas stories, not because it's a particularly joyful, but just because it's weird and it does have this connection and it's all part of the Christmas story because everything is a part of the Christmas story. And we need to read the Bible when we're reading about Rahab. We need to read about Rahab in light of Christmas. We need to be reading this story in the Old Testament in light of Christmas. We need to be reading the whole Old Testament considering that all of this culminates into as a part of a a plan that has been set out from the very earliest chapters of Genesis culminates in the Savior being born, who is a God man, who 
is supposed to save the world, and he does. And that is the Savior who was born, who we celebrate every Christmas. And that is why we need to celebrate so hard and so much, but also realize the dark parts. And I think when we realize the dark parts, when we realize that Christmas isn't just this isolated event, this cool little joyful thing that happened in the middle of nowhere, but it's actually a part of this story. It's the climax that happens in the midst of this darkness and death and gloom. This light comes and the whole world is saved and it makes the whole story more beautiful if we are aware of the dark parts like the story in Judges and how it does, if if David's the son of the concubine or not, how it does connect to the Christmas story because, you know, the kingdom of Israel is established through which Jesus becomes the, the final and ultimate king of Israel. Through this, this fight between Gibeah and Judah. Because of something, uh, because of a, because of, you know, a, a woman who came from Bethlehem. <laughs> Beautiful story, beautiful story. So I hope that was interesting for you. And I hope you, you know, as you read the Bible, as you go to church, you can have a deeper appreciation of Jesus Christ this year because of this episode and the last episode. And, you know, all my episodes because everything's about Christmas. So Merry Christmas and I will catch you next time. God bless.